Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold. We have finished up another week, and it was frankly another week of terrible Tiger baseball. So uh, let's quickly talk about it. And there are terrible weeks of Tiger baseball are starting to run into each other. Of They've lost eight out of their last 10. I think they are, what, four and 14, four and 13 in the last 17. And when they play like they did today, it kind of looks like a sewage backup. So uh, I appreciate they pretended like they were getting back in the game, but it was just a mess of base running, defensive mistakes, and terrible at-bats. So talk to me. Yeah, it was a rough week for the Tigers. Two and three week. You know, they had the off days on Monday and Thursday, so gave them a couple opportunities to reset some things with their rotation and, you know, position themselves well for the trade deadline, knowing that a number of things could have happened. But yeah, I mean, they played two games against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they won one of those games. Um, they salvaged that on the last game of the the two game series, and then they lost two of three to the Tampa Bay Rays. They were saved by Tarek Skubal on Saturday because without him, I don't think they would have won that game. He was electric. He he was as good as it gets coming back, and and we can dig into more of that in a little bit. But Friday's game, they lost eight nothing, and then on Sunday they lost ten to six. And yeah, I mean they played this pretend game of we're going to make a comeback, but that that didn't happen because as quickly as Kerry Carpenter hit that home run, Wander Franco mashed him with a home run in the in the the next inning and it was like all right that's that's pretty much it that made it 10 to 6 and you know it held that way till the end um mark i i I don't know this has been a long week just with the trade deadline obviously my travel circumstances sleeping in the atlanta airport blowing a tire on the ohio turnpike watching this baseball team like I, i love my job i love what i do but it's exhausting watching this team play sometimes i mean especially a game like sunday where it's just mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, what about Andy Abanez, man? I mean, he got caught somewhere in between of, okay, am I going to try to turn this double play or do I just need to get one out and, and completely flub the ball in the first inning? Um, and that led to a three-run inning. I mean, look, if he were able to compose himself, turn the double play there, um, that that that's a scoreless inning for Matt Manning in, in the first against the Tampa Bay Rays. Instead, look, look what happens. I mean, Andy Abanez has played a decent second base, don't get me wrong, but you just can't make mistakes like that, especially with a guy like Matt Manning on the mound. I mean, you got to give him every advantage he can get. And then to turn around and make two base running errors, I mean, to get thrown out at home plate, blown the stop sign from Gary Jones, and then to completely forget to tag up a second base on a sacrifice fly from Jake Rogers. Like, come on, what are we doing? It's frustrating. It's what they do in minor league baseball. And- but it's frustrating to me, Mark, because I, I, I sit there and I watch it every day and you know what this team is capable of. You know when, when guys play well, you know that they're capable of more than what they're putting out on the field, and that that's what's frustrating. So I don't think it's a lack of preparation. I, I do think it's a lack of talent when push comes to shove across the board, but you know that individually, Andy Abanez knows how to make those plays, like without a doubt. But but it's just, it it, it comes up and, it, and it, it's a thorn in their side, and it has been for a really long time. I mean, outside of one month that they had, they haven't been very good. They were good in May. But outside of that, this team hasn't played well. And the only reason they were really in anything for as long as they were is because the American League Central is is terrible. Well, uh, they're 13 games under 500. They were five over in the month of May, which means outside of the month of May, they're 18 games below 500, which is just atrocious baseball. They're 23 and 32 at home, which is just an embarrassment. And uh, they are 80 runs underwater at home. They have allowed 290 runs at home. They have scored, excuse me, they have scored 212. They have allowed 292. So, and here's what worries me, Mark. Here's what worries me is this. Look, I hate to be this negative guy who's down on the Tigers and, but, but look, I'm also going to be a realist. You know, are, are the Tigers anywhere close to the Baltimore Orioles? who actually, by the way, are ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East. Are they anywhere close to being like the Orioles? Are they anywhere close to being like the Rays? Are they anywhere close to being like Texas, like Houston? How about Atlanta? Are they, are they even remotely close to that? 
Are, are they close to being like the Phillies, who, by the way, are 10 and a half games out in the NL East? They're nowhere near that. I mean, are, are they close to being like the Dodgers? No. So that that's what worries me is like, look, it, it, they're still so far away. And I, it, today's game or Sunday's game made me think about that just how far away they really are and how many more pieces they need. And look, I mean, of course, you can hit on minor league prospects and you can have a guy come up and, and be an impact bat, but it's not just one bat that you need. It's not just two bats that you need. It's, it's not even just three. I mean, they, they really need more talent in this organization. And I mean, look, I mean, and, I, and I'm not sitting here like blaming Scott Harris for that because he just took over the team. He, he, he got here a year ago. I mean, I, I'm t- I mean, I'm telling you, guys have plans and they have it all mapped out and how they're going to do it. I don't think that this was supposed to be a, a two-year turnaround for Scott Harris and the Detroit Tigers. So why I'm worried? Because I'm worried that we're going to see more of the same next year because you got to throw all your because you got to throw all your eggs in one basket. It starts with drafting and developing, and he has been through one draft. It's not an immediate turnaround unless you're going to go out there and spend a ton of cash. And if that's the case, then you can go out there and you can be upset at Chris Illich all you want, whatever. I mean, I, I don't even want to get down that rabbit hole. But my point is, is that. You have somebody who wants to build a sustainable winner. That's exactly what every team wants to do. That's what Al Avila tried to do. It didn't work. Scott Harris comes in. He's going to want to, you know, obviously rebuild this thing back up through the draft. He's had one draft. He has had one draft. It's going to take some time. And that's what worries me is that there, there isn't like a quick fix. And I, and I think that's what I realized watching the, the Detroit Tigers against the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend. You do know that angry Evan Petzold is my favorite Evan Petzold, right? Well, it just frustrates me because I think, I, I mean, look, you, you go on social media, you talk to fans around the ballpark, and the expectation is like, oh, you know, maybe if we can just add a couple pieces, like we have a real chance next year. Like, no, that's no, I don't see that happening. Go look at the list of free agents. Go look at the list of free agent bats. Not great. I mean, you talk about adding pieces. Who are you, you going to add? Oh, you want to make a trade? Oh, you could trade Scooble? Okay, now you're down a really good starting pitcher. Like, there isn't a perfect answer to the way that this rebuild is going to go, which is through the draft, through young players, through development. It's, it's just, it's going to take time. And that's what worries me. That's what worries me is that this is not only going to be another year of this, but this could be another two years of this. Because again, Scott Harris isn't going to throw all of his chips in and say, all right, I'm going to try to make him a winner in two years and get this thing back. Like, that's how you get fired. I mean, you want to build it from within. You want to take your time. You have to get your processes to go. Like, I'm not a Scott Harris doubter, but at the same time, I also understand that like he's not some miracle worker who's going to be able to just you know sprinkle the pixie dust all over the Detroit Tigers and make them great suddenly. It's going to take time. Uh, I agree with that, but I also want to bring up a very glaring truth, which is, look, when you get hired to do a job, you don't get hired where you get to say, hey, you know, the first year, ah. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to do a good job. I'm, I'm just going to observe. I'm going to analyze. Uh, you know, well, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think not do a good job is fair. Mm, I do. I don't, I disagree. Okay. So I don't, I don't think you sit back and you say, I'm not going to do a good job. I think you understand that. I, I think you understand the reality of your situation, which is you're not a good baseball team. Javier Baez who's supposed to be your star player is no good. Your pitchers are all injured and they're all coming back. It is an evaluation period, but it's also not a kick back the feet and not try. Blitz. I mean, look at all the waiver claims he's making. Like the guy's obviously trying to do something, but but you know some of those haven't worked out, right? I mean, that, and some of them have. And well, Tyler well, me, is a great example of that, right? I didn't want to get into this because starting October first, we <laughs> have six months to get into this. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm fired up. I, I do love how fired up you are today. Yeah, I do. Are you? Is there some stuffed animals behind you that you're tearing up underneath the desk that I'm not seeing, or, or no? No. Um, I just, look, I, look, look, I just know the fan, I just know the fans want this team to be good, and I want to be real with people. That's all. That's okay. all. Well, usually angry, critical, semi mean spirited podcaster is my job. That's not your job. So, but I will say, I just want to ask a fair question. When the best addition to the team outside of the draft, which you can't really read anything into at all. I mean, we picked high school kids. They're 18 years old, okay? They're barely playing two out of three days in the complex league. So, you know, that's just wish upon a star stuff. But you've had a year. You had a guy that's, whose job was to 
evaluate player personnel, especially when he was with the Giants and a little bit with the Cubs. And, you know, it's not like he was ignorant, you know, to who was good, who was not, who's available, what type of player he wants, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And I've said this a million times. It's great to have a plan. It's a whole different discussion to execute your plan. So I ask you this question, and then we're going to move on to the big two. All the machinations of Scott Harris since last August. Tell me the player he's added in everything he's done in a year. That's going to be a solid player for them next year. Perform on the field as a position player or a reliever that's going to throw leverage. So that means he's going to appear almost every game when they have a lead in the seventh, eighth, or ninth. Tell me who that player is. Tell me, tell me who he's added that we can hang our hat on and go, wow, that was, that was a good ad. That was a clever sign. That was a good trade. That was a waiver pickup they optimized. Tell me who that guy is. There's a reason Time's I'm not up. answering the question. Yeah, right. Like, but but that's my Time's but that's up. but that's my point though, Time's right? Up. Like, that's kind of the point that I'm making is like Al Avila was here and he got what six seven years. I mean, Scott Harris is going to be here. Like, he has a process. He's going to try to see it through. It. And that's what I worries me is that look what they got back for Gregory Soto. We don't know yet about the Joe Jimenez deal. We're going to have to see whenever Justin Henry Malloy gets his opportunity. I think he's making a pretty good case for it. We'll see if they we're going to talk about on that. And we're, we're going to talk about but, that later. But, but my, my, my point is that it's a process and it's going to take time. And that's what's frustrating. That's what's really frustrating is it's great that, you know, Matt Beerling has a lot of years of team control. It's great that, you know, Nick Maton does as well. It's good that, you know, Torgelson and Green are going to be here for a while. Scooble's going to be here for a while unless they trade him, which I, I hope they don't. I think that'd be a huge mistake. Jake Rogers is going to be here for a little bit longer. You got, you know, young relievers and Jason Foley and Alex Lang, but there just still feels like there's so many pieces missing. And, and it's not like a oh, one off season will cure that, especially because you got to go look at who's available in free agency. Like go look at the bats there, Matt Chapman. And then it's a pretty big drop off. Well, yeah, let's not even count him because they're not in the mix. It's going to the Dodgers. We all know it. It's, it's, it's just frustrating because I know how bad the fans want to win. And I, I, I talk to the fans. I see what they say on Twitter. Like I, 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 I see it all. I get it. But after a weekend series like this, it just makes you scratch your head at like, when is this team actually going to be good? You know, is this, is this a rebuild that is a, you know, we're going to go and compete for it in 2024 or is this a rebuild that's 2026, 2027? I, I think it's more the latter, but that's just me. In the famous words of Mark Gorosh, don't call it a rebuild. It's a team build. Rebuilding is for losers. You got to build a system that repeats itself all the time. Rebuilds and that's in year let, one. And that's in year one. There you go. That's well, scary. I guess, I, guess, I guess they're starting all over again, which they failed to let me know last August when they hired Scott Harris that they were starting all over again. Okay. All right. Let's go to the big two because this is depressing me. The big two, question number one, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about... Anything positive? The, yeah. Let's talk about what the good things about 23, 2023 have been. So let's talk about that, okay? Top of my list, we saw something yesterday. Tarek Skubal and his growth. So we've seen the... Mechanical adjustments, we've seen the good health. They stretched them out for a lot of pitches. The pitch shapes are much better. The ability to throw strikes, holy smokes, is that better, okay? First walk, I think, in 18 or 23 innings. I don't know, you tweeted something about that, but it was some some long, long period of time, 63 hitters maybe. But really more than anything, and I brought this up in a negative way, last podcast, which was yesterday, limited the damage, kind of changed up the mix from the two disastrous starts that have been part of this early transition back to being Tarek Skubal. Really loved what he did yesterday, showed a lot of maturity, showed progress, and we kind of talked about this off air, you and I. He's been in a room with Chris Fetter really trying to analyze what's going on and having a better plan of attack when people start getting on base and things start going wrong. And he executed very well yesterday. 
So, w- w- you know, it was interesting to see, don't you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we always talk to the starting pitcher after every game, and I stayed back a little bit longer after the rest of the, the group went and started to talk to Jake Rogers. And I asked, you know, Tarek a little bit more about that because I was fascinated, right? Like, this is a guy who has been so, so, so good for the Tigers coming back from, you know, flexor tendon surgery. And that, that's a major, major surgery that held him out um, from August 1st, 2022 to, what was it, July 4th, 2023. I mean, that's a long time to be out and away from the big league club. And, you know, obviously there was so the rebuild. I mean, there was, um, excuse me, rebuilds. Um, you know, there was obviously rehab assignments in there and YBPs and stuff like that that he was doing. But, you know, to be back in the big leagues and to have to execute at the highest level, um, you know, every, I guess it's like every five days, every six days for him, um, every six days with him being on, on a little bit extra rest, it's tough. It's not easy. And, and so I wanted to know a little bit more about that because if you go back and you look at his numbers, He's given up 11 earned runs, and nine of them occurred in two innings combined against the Kansas City Royals on July 18th and the Miami Marlins on July 30th. And look, the walk rate is off the charts, 3.8%. The strikeout rate is off the charts, 31.1%. He's been as good as it gets. He's got a 3.67 ERA, four walks and 33 strikeouts in 27 innings. You can't ask for much more, but if you eliminate those two innings against the Royals and the Marlins, his ERA is 0.67 in six starts. And so my big question, and we had talked about this, was like, hey, why'd you give up five runs or five runs to the Royals in the fourth inning? And why'd you give up four runs in the Marlins in the fifth inning? Like, like how does that happen when you are so dominant in every other inning that you pitch? I mean, to 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 be able to throw, you know, 27 innings and have 25 of those be, you know, pretty much elite across the board, what gives with the other two innings? And he just talked a lot about like, you know, trying to get away from his strengths, right? Like you, you have your strengths as a pitcher and when a runner's on base and there are certain situations that you're trying to execute, like a perfect example is if you want a double play ball, like, are, are you pitching it to your strength or are you just trying to like, are you changing the process to try to get the result, right? Like pitching to the result as opposed to just pitching to what you do well. Um, so he talked about like in situations like that, runner on base wants to get a double play, Maybe he's trying to change his process and he's trying to pitch to a double play, which forces him to, you know, lose some aggressiveness, leak pitches over the middle of the plate because he's trying to be so fine and so perfect as opposed to just letting it rip and shutting guys down. And so we saw that change in his last start here against the Rays where Riley Green in the, in the very beginning of the game, Riley Green has, you know, two very uncharacteristic fielding errors in center field. The Rays scored one run and they have a runner on second base. So it was basically back-to-back singles that turned into, you know, essentially air quotes doubles because of the errors. And you got a runner on second base, one run in, and you know, that that that's an inning that like in the past, that has all the makings of a blow-up inning. And he locked in and he made his pitches, he executed, he located, he stayed calm. I think it does come down to that, right? As opposed to okay, like I, I know what I need to do in this certain situation. I need to get a double play ball or, oh, I need to keep the ball on the ground here to help try to, you know, uh, keep the runner from advancing. Let's try to get it on the ground to the left side of the infield, right? Like that, that, that's not exactly how they want him to be pitching. And I love the way that he went about it in this game because he goes and he strikes out Jose Siri with a, a 97.5 mile an hour forcing fastball. And there's a second out. It eliminates the runner from advancing to second base. Then he gets a pop out for the third out, inning over, one run in, and that's it. And he wiped his hands clean and dominated the rest of the way. And let's talk about the fact that he was pitching against a team that scored 18 runs in the other two games. Yeah, so, I mean, look, he, and, so he and, can't go away from his strengths. Right, and he and, and a team that just, I think as AJ said today, they make you pay for every mistake, especially offensively, especially and, when... And, and so the fact that he was able to stay in it keep attacking, keep executing yesterday was a real sign of growth for me. I mean, I think so too. And that's what he said. I want to give you the quote because I think it matters, Mark. I think it matters when he says, quote, I started trying to pitch to get a result instead of executing pitches the way I know how to. It's the little things like that you forget about. That's what the whole rehab process is about. When you take so much time off, you forget those little nuances, end quote. Yeah, the the answer is my stuff's unbelievably dominatingly good i just need to keep attacking and executing as opposed to yeah i need to spin a breaking ball here slightly off the plate and try to get a ground ball to second base and get out of it no 
attack, execute, attack, execute. And that's when Tarek Skubal's at his best. And we saw that yesterday, and innings seem to work themselves out when you execute pitches. So, all right, let's also some other things that we've seen that are really good. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson. Riley, the last two days after just an unbelievable, you know, two months of dominance, May and July. And he's been really good this month so far, too. These last two days were maybe the two ugliest Riley Green days of the year, which we're going to ignore because he's just been so damn good this year. After starting in April, really spinning on the baseball, needed to make some adjustments, didn't you know, really want to admit too much, but I think looking at the results, got a 28% line drive rate, fell below 300 today for the first time in a long time, but essentially hitting 300, starting to hit some apple homers, starting to hit some homers just in general, kind of like a one a week homer, homer rate, which is for the uneducated about 26 or seven a year. He's been fabulous to say the least, by far their best player. Um, and a lot of growth this year. Yeah, so. he doesn't want he doesn't want to talk about it. But I wrote about it back uh, when he started to pull the ball in the air um, and, and get it, get it, get the ball in the air to the pole side. Like that was the biggest thing. And he finally started to do that in May, and it's really allowed him to take off. And now he's getting the ball to the opposite field too, hitting it for power the other way. Like that's exactly what you want to see. I mean, a guy that can really you know take the ball and hit it to all parts of the field for power. I mean, that's that that's everything you can ask for. Um, but there was definitely a, a, a little bit of a difference in the setup and in the stance at the plate. And I think some of those subtle tweaks really helped him tap into optimal attack angle, avoid all the ground balls that he was hitting at the beginning of the season. And then for the first time in his career, unlock the pull side power career at the, the big league level, of course. But yeah, yeah he's been really good. He's been really good. And he's been solid in center field. He's a good team player. He's a guy that's awesome in the clubhouse. He's, he's as good as it gets. He's a great piece for the Tigers. And as long as he keeps us up, I just... The only question that gets, goes in my head and it kind of spins like a wheel is like contract extension, contract extension. Like, is, is that going to be a, a conversation or a, a happening at some point this year? Because he's playing like he deserves it. And, and that's what good teams do, right? Like you acquire well, the they players, try. you they develop try. Young players, and then you, you keep them, you retain them. Well, I, you know, I'll bring up two things. One, I don't think he's been as good defensively since he's come back just because I don't think he runs well but he's still is, their best center fielder that's kind oh, of yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no questions asked about that but i think his defense has not been as good as it was when he seemed to be healthier as far as running a and i think he will be healthy next year and let's hope they figure out some things to help him remove some stress off of his gait and his foot etc so that's a i'm not going to get into that too much b a contract extension you know, I tweeted this out today. Got a huge response to it when I did. If I'm Riley Green, am I signing contract extension in Detroit? Hell no. I'm not signing a contract extension not knowing if the organization is going to be able to be competitive. Heck no. I'm not giving up a year or two of free agency. Absolutely not. Okay. Now that's me. That's my opinion of it. Do I think they uh, approach him? No doubt about it. But it's something he's going to have to really assess. You know, we're now going to be two plus years into his, you know, into the six year term. You got four years to go. And am I donating two years to an ownership group that A, has been just maybe outside of Oakland? the least competent ownership groups in baseball and B, how do we even know who the owner's going to be four or five years from now? We don't. You I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm Riley green, I'm really thinking long and hard about that. Well, I want to move on to Spencer Torkelson too. Okay. I know that's, that's kind of on that list as well of these two kind of in tandem together because they've been, they've been doing it the whole time, you know, together with the Tigers ever since Torque was drafted, they linked up and, um, we all know they're great buddies. I think Bally Sports Detroit has talked to them about a million times about it. You know, we've all written about it as well. So to kind of pair them together, I, I think with Torkelson this year, like 
definitely some improvements. The power is good to see. He's getting the ball in the air. He's getting the ball to the warning track. He's still leaving several home runs out on the table. I maybe blame Comerica Park, maybe blame, um, you know, not getting that extra 10 feet, whatever it is. Um, but if you want to look at it like the whole season, like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I got the list of, um, you know, qualified first basemen. There's 23 of them. And Torkelson's at the bottom of that list in a lot of offensive categories. So I, I don't really know what to make of him so far this year. I mean, I, I like the growth, but as a whole, 93 WRC plus, that ranks 20th among 23 qualified first basemen. Um, you, you go look at the, the the strikeout rate. I mean, the strikeout rate is more towards the bottom. You go look at the slugging percentage. That's that's at the bottom as well. Like I don't I don't really know exactly what to make of Spencer Torkelson and and what he's done this year. And I'm not saying that you know he's got to be this amazing player who's at the top. He doesn't have to be with the Matt Olsons and the Freddie Freeman and the Pete Alonso and and Christian Walker and Yandy Diaz. I mean, those are guys that he doesn't have to be up in that category at this point in his career, but you would like to see him in the mix with like the Alec Bombs and the Andrew Vaughns and, you know, Carlos Santana. Like he's kind of right below that tier when it comes to full season production. So sure, like positives w- without a doubt, like those are all really good things to see, but you still have a guy who's, I mean, he, he's hitting like 220. Like I, I still don't know how I feel about, you know, what he's been able to provide for the Tigers, especially as a first baseman, especially as a former number one overall pick, it does kind of cause me some concern. I mean, the 170 ISO, like that's not bad. Like I'm not, I mean, that that's not terrible. That's kind of Paul Goldschmidt, Carlos Santana, Vlad Guerrero Jr., you know, Nathaniel Lowe type range um, for, a, for a full season, but it's surely not that Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, Freddie Freeman range. Like, I guess the question really becomes like, what are the expectations for him at this point? Because if the expectations are for him at this point to be like an elite first baseman, um, specifically with the bat, then like he's not there yet. If it's to see some slight improvements and hope that he can build upon that for next year, then yeah, I think he's on the right track. And and those have all been really good things to see. Well, you know, I, I try to, especially with young players, I try to take things in kind of smaller increments. So maybe two, two months, 10 week increments. So, you know, the last 10 weeks since the first of June, Torkelson is fifth among first basemen in homers. He's, you know, he is a 95 WRC plus. He's hit the ball a lot harder. He's got a 211 ISO in that period of time. He's actually got a positive war. And as far as leaving balls at the warning track, you know, I look at it a little differently than you do, which is he's really learned that to be most effective, he's going to have to pull the ball in the air. I participated in an article that was written about that, and I think he's only leveraged upon it as time has gone on. Yes, is he leaving balls five and ten feet short of the stands lately? Yes, but that's happening almost, you know, he, he has one really good at bat every game and sometimes two or three. And I really think as time goes on and he perfects his launch angle, some of those balls are going to start going out. So I think he has a great shot at hitting 25 homers, driving in 90 runs. He's continually improved every month. And, uh, you know, he's going to have a walk rate that's close to or exceeds 10%. I think he's had a pretty good year for year two of Spencer Torkelson, especially where he was in year one. And the fact that I'm saying that is probably amazing to everybody, including me, because for a long time, I was not advocating the progress he was making, but especially in the last six to eight weeks, the progress has been pretty continuous. He builds on it. It's been consistent. Without a doubt, but that's got to carry over in the offseason. He's got to take that next step next season, too. And that's how it is for every player, of course. Every young player, they always want to take that step forward. But to your point, it's great to see him hit the ball in the air hard as opposed to hitting the ball hard on the ground. Those are two very different things. I would totally. much rather see. I would much rather see the ball hit hard in the air to the pull side as opposed to hit hard on the ground to the pull side. And uh-huh. we have seen him hit the ball in the air way more um, really in the second half of, of this chunk of the season so far that that's been good to see. Like, I, I love to see that. I think that that means, you know, positive things for him in his future, but he's got to take that next step still. I still think that he has all the potential to be a cornerstone bat. I think he has the potential to hit 250 plus. Like I think he has the chance to again, hit 25, 30 home runs. 
he's got to put it together. He has to do it. Like he has to do it. Like that 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 still needs to be accomplished. But but yeah, I, I like the I like the track that he's on. I think it's good. I think last off season he had to go home and he did not have to make swing tweaks. He had to make swing changes. He very rarely beat the fastball to the spot was not very athletic, especially with his hands, wasn't a lot of rhythm. He did all those things. Yep. And he's a much more athletic, consistent swinging, hard contact, ball-in-the-air hitter than he was. He he changed bats. He uses a slightly lighter bat now. And, you know, those were pretty big swing changes that he continues to polish as the year's gone on. And I think we can see the results by the nature of the contact. But... What's really interesting to me is now he's going to be able to go home and he's going to be able to, you know, add nuances as opposed to big changes and keep slightly tweaking and polishing things. And I would expect next year I'll be very disappointed if he does not hit between 25 and 30 homers and have an over 800 uh, OPS next year as a player. And it, you know, the consistency level should be much improved over what it was, especially in the first half of the year. So I, you know, the, the defense is something that needs a lot of work. I don't want to leave that out. Um, often goes and does the Miguel, Miguel Cabrera thing, which is ranging way too far to his right, almost gets in the way of the second baseman, um, doesn't handle grounders especially well. But I think, he has the capacity showing how he scoops to get a lot better defensively. And I think he probably will. So there's a lot of things I worry about, about the Detroit Tigers, Spencer Torkelson at this Spencer Torkelson at this point in time is not one of them. So, all right, we got more things to talk about on this topic, but we're going to be back in a minute. All right, we're back. Torkelson Green, Tarek Skubal, all real easy things to talk about. Other good things that we still need to talk about, and I think one that's flown under the radar but is really prominent is the breakout season of one Jakey Rogers, who has absolutely been a stone-cold assassin <laughs> behind the I plate. I like that. I like that. Uh, he, behind the plate, he's just killing people. Just really, really good, uh, especially since June 1st. And uh, he's over a two-war now on the season. Just, you know, a prob- You know, it's very difficult to find catchers that can contribute both offensively and are very, very good defensively. How about this? Since the 1st of June, Jake Rogers, 270, 333, 504. That's an 837 OPS plus, a 131 WRC plus, a 1.5 war. That makes him the third most productive catcher in baseball during that period of time. Has seven homers, 18 runs batted in. His walk rate is 8.7%. His ISO is 0.2%. Two three five. For all of you that aren't paying close enough attention to how Jake Rogers is playing, uh, maybe you ought to start playing better attention. That's uh, behind Jonah Heim, who was an all-star, ahead of Will Smith, um, who is an all-star. They talk up Patrick Bailey on the Giants. That's ahead of him. Uh, it's some pretty great stuff. And after... Franklin Perez's release this week, and Daz Cameron now plays in AAA for Baltimore. The idea that you at least have a th- potential three-war catcher out of the Justin Verlander trade. I've said many times you need 40 war to qualify for the playoffs. You now have a catcher that's really good. I want to ask you a question. I got to put you on the spot um, because mm-hmm. I know how much you love Jake Rogers, and, and I love what he does too. Look, and we can talk more about that, but Jake Rogers, his agent, told him to be ready at the trade deadline because something might happen and he might get traded. Now, I have no idea if the Tigers were actually like actively looking to move him. Um, I think the name was just kind of tossed out there quite a bit just because 
every team needs a catcher. But what would your reaction have been if the Tigers would have traded Jake Rogers? I'm just curious. My reaction would have been the same as it was when I figured out how terribly they executed the Eduardo Rodriguez trade. I mean, okay, so you would have been pissed. All right, that, that that was kind of my point. But look, this guy's been so good. That I mean, he's been so good behind the plate. We talked about it back in spring training. I think it was on one of our first podcasts. We talked about him being a glue guy and what he does behind the scenes with his teammates. Um, he's as good as it gets. He's great to talk to. Um, an awesome personality. Um, and he's he's a realist. Like he understands exactly who he is and the kind of player that he can be. And I think that that's allowed him to tap into what he's doing now. I mean, you go look at the offensive numbers for the entire season and he's not like a great offensive player. He's not, he's not a great hitter. Um, he's a guy who's going to hit you a ton of home runs and he's going to strike out a lot. And that kind of causes him to just kind of hover right around that average type. I mean, look at the WRC plus for the year. It's one Oh five. That's, you know, just above league average, the defense. I mean, that that's the game changer for him is the defense is going to make up for a lot of that production and anything you get offensively, like you're going to take it. And the fact that he's been able to be league average and even above league average offensively, that's huge for the Tigers to get out of their catcher. I mean, you, a, lot of, a lot of teams don't get that out of their catcher. That's just not the case. And for him to be able to do that through the power swing, um, that's, that's been such a good sign for the Tigers in their future, especially when you combine that with the fact of, of how good he's been on defense as well. I mean, a lot of that war comes from his defense and what he does with pitch framing and, and game calling and getting guys through it. Like he, he is as good as it gets in that category. And then you toss on those home runs. He's the catcher of the future. He is the catcher of the future. I, I have, I have no doubt about that. And that's another guy that maybe you say, Hey, contract extension. Like, do you start really thinking about it? Do you wait another year to try to figure that out? I mean, he becomes a free agent after 2026. Is that a guy that you might want to keep around, you know, for a few more years after that? I, I say maybe if this production is going to continue. I'll vote yes on that. I just don't think that you can find catchers that are doing what he's doing right now. I mean, look how long the Tigers have tried to develop a catcher like this. I mean, they, they tried for years and years and years and years. I could go on. I could keep saying years because it was forever. And they finally have one. And there's really nobody else coming. I mean, there is, you know, there's a couple young prospects that, that have some interest. Uh, I'm not sold on Dylan Dingler because he can't stay healthy. And he chases way too much. It's always been the case. He can't get himself out of Erie. Josh Crouch, I don't, I don't think there's really that much there in him. Like Jake Rogers is kind of all you got. And Donnie Sands, by the way, he's not very good. Um, so yeah, Jake is kind of your guy moving forward. He's your number one catcher. He's your starter. He's proven himself. I think about it. I think about it. And, and this was uh, somebody who was kind of written off after everything that he had gone through when it came to the struggles in 2019, when he first got called up to the injury and then the Tommy John surgery and coming back from that, nobody really knowing, you know, what, what to expect. And you go out and you get Donnie Sands and you, you call it a, you know, spring training competition between Donnie Sands and Jake Rogers with Eric Haas, you know, automatically, you know, kind of penciled in there on the big league roster for opening day. And Jake Rogers just smokes Donnie Sands out of the water. And now he's smoking Eric Haas and he's, he's the dude here. And it's, it's good for him because of how much he's been through, but it's also just great for the production too. I mean, you, you, it's just, it's just, it's good to see. Like you need that kind of production out of your catcher and the Tigers are getting everything and more. Now I add the defense in and... Oh you know, my gosh. Right. So, you know, look, I, I I don't think we need to belabor this. Yes, it's the first year he's performed at this level. He has performed at this level in shorter spurts, which he did, you know, previous to his injury. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think Jake's been really, really good. He's driven in a lot of runs. Doesn't have an inordinate batting average with runners in scoring position, but let's just say he's been productive more yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, he, look, he, he chases a ton, but he's going to barrel up the ball. I mean, his his barrel rate's in the 85th percentile. And sure, the chase rate's in the 87th percentile, but he's going to chase a lot. He's going to strike out a lot. But when he gets a hold of one, he's going to get a hold of one. That's right. the name of his game offensively. Let's, let's go to two other pieces and uh, so we can get to this second question of the big two today. So let's talk about two bullpen pieces, which are Jason Foley, who's just been ridiculously good, uh, almost to the point of overuse. He looks kind of tired the last few outings, to be really blunt about it. And, you know, the surprise of Tyler Holton, who's just been ridiculously good. Now, do I have confidence that Tyler Holton will be this good next year? No. 
I don't. There's no reason for me to believe he'll be this good this ne- you know, next year. Foley was this good last year. So the fact he's this good this year, not a shock to me. Okay. So, but, you know, am I expecting Tyler Holton to be good next year? Sure I am. Do I understand how fungible relievers are year to year? Well, I've been doing this a really long time. So my expectations of, of random relievers being good year to year, pretty low. So, but yeah, two really, really good pieces. They have other good pieces in the bullpen. I think it's good to be encouraged by both Brisky and White. They have, you know, some other arms that are kind of interesting that could be effective in a relief role. Do I think Resultson is a starter? I think we don't know the answer to that yet. And we've been moving backwards on the Resultson scale. It's a work in progress still. Do I think he could be a good reliever? I have more faith in that. But, you know, there are some good things about the Detroit Tigers. There's just not enough good things about the Detroit Tigers. That's the problem. There's just so many ifs. There's just so many AAA players. There's just so many players like Akil Badu that were in year three waiting to find out. I mean, if you're in year three waiting to find out about you a player, found out. you already found out. And as much as I have been teased and intrigued and like Matt, Matt Manning, I mean, I, I just... I just have no words for these last three outings. It's I've always worried that Matt Manning just didn't get it and is too stubborn to get it. And my God, today was just example number 3000 about how I feel like that. It's just so frustrating to me because I feel like for every three steps forward, Matt Manning takes, he takes three steps backwards and, I, I just don't know where we are there. Yeah, I do want to mention on Jason Foley. Like, I'm interested to see, because you talk about Spencer Torkelson going to the offseason and tweaking some things. I think Jason Foley has now found out, like, okay, yes, I am established at this level. Like, I am a big league reliever. I'm a high leverage reliever. And quite honestly, I have closer potential. I can be a great, you know, big league reliever. And I, I think last year, maybe he knew he could hang. And this year, he's learning that he can be a great one. I'll be very interested to see how he tweaks his pitch usage coming into next year. I mean, you have the 97 mile an hour, you know, turbo sinker that he throws. He also tosses a slider in there and, and then also the changeup. And the changeup has been a great pitch for him. It's been like a developing pitch for him, um, especially against left-handed hitters, but he's even thrown it to right-handed batters a couple of times. And the whiff rate on that is excellent. The whiff rate on that is is 30.8% on the changeup. Now, the only problem is the slider, which he throws to right-handed hitters, that's a 19. 5% whiff rate. And that's still, I mean, that that's still like, he, he's taken a step in, in locating that pitch and getting it to where it needs to be. But that pitch, if that can become a true wipeout pitch, if he can get the slider to induce significant, you know, swing and miss, if, if he can get it up to the 30, you know, the 30%, you know, whiff rate mark, right? And he's missing bats like that. Do you not have like an all-star closer on your hands? Is that you not do. everything that he is? Because you want to, because you know what you need to know about him is he doesn't walk a ton of guys. He's not going to walk the house. If he can increase the strikeouts a little bit more, he's got the velo. He he gets chased with this stuff when he throws it outside of the zone because it's just so damn good and it moves quite a bit. But to be able to truly get swing and miss, like he he will get hitters to expand outside of the zone, but he doesn't always get that swing and miss that he needs. And so it, it's time to see if he can really develop that that swing and miss. And if he does dude sky's the limit like i i just can't wait i can't wait to see him come back in 2024 and and see what he's all about and what he's tinkered with yeah well you know i think we talked a little bit about you know most of the things we're talking about which are good things it's kind of the shorthand for are you a piece are you a piece for 2024 and going forward um it's why we're frustrated by matt manning I think Matt Manning's frustrated by Matt Manning, to be really honest with you. We'll I think Matt Manning's that. confused. I think he's confused. And I think somehow I either need Chris Fetter or his catchers to help him with those issues. I, I watched Haas talk about him today, and Haas seemed frustrated by it. And often Haas doesn't seem that frustrated about pitch calling. So Well, it was just frustrating uh, because he threw so many sliders right out the gate, and your best pitches are fastball. Like, Throw your heater. I understand the Rays are a fastball hitting team, but at the same time, they're also going to be a, a middle middle slider hitting team, right? I think every team is going to hit middle middle sliders. So, in the throw, famous throw your words, pitch. in the famous words of Doc Brown, throw your heater, Ricky. <laughs> um, 
All right. Forget the so, curveball. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I also wanted to, maybe we should address, look, Alex Lane for sure was a piece a month ago. What's gone on there? I I don't know if words can describe it, but the bottom line is <laughs> Alex Lane has no command. He for sure doesn't have fastball command, but he's borderline not having any command. And, you know, he's basically walked. 20 hitters in his last 20 innings and it's oh, he's, it's, he's bad he's bad it's, right now it's to the point where i even think aj yesterday was finally to the point look you should only pray that you have a manager that keeps throwing you out there to close like aj hinch has done for alex lang let's be blunt if this team was more competitive over 500, let's say, there's no possible way he would have lasted being the closer this long because you can't risk losing games when they actually have meaning. He was trying to help Alex Lang and develop him by giving him opportunities to keep going back out there when he's unable to throw strikes and ready to blow up at any point in time. But I think after yesterday, we may have reached a point in time where I'm not so sure he's going to get the call to close the next time there's an opportunity to close. You, you yeah, look, does you, does this start ahead. does this start question two of the big two batting order black holes and Alex Lang? Um, yeah, well, I, I I was willing to. No, he's been bad. Black, he's been terrible. Right. Well, we, I think it's, we do need to touch on a couple players who are trending down, but like Alex Lang has been rough. It's 23 walks in his last 19 and two thirds innings over his last 21 games. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of walks. Um, that's terrible. And, and he's searching for the strike zone. And that was the problem was, look, I mean, in Saturday's game, the Tigers were able to, to work around it. Bo Brisky came in and got his first career save, um, which was really cool for him, like a good moment for him. I think that you know, solidified a lot of things that he's been doing behind the scenes to be a reliever and work as a reliever. Every pitcher wants to be a starter until they fall in love with being a reliever. And I think that just kind of solidified some of the things that he's been doing to get himself prepared to pitch out of the bullpen. But in that game, though, I mean, Lang threw 20 pitches. Six of them went for strikes. Only three of the 20 pitches were located inside the strike zone. Three of 20 pitches inside the strike zone. That's terrible. He has a 34.8% in zone rate this season, which is, I mean, far and away worse than the MLB average, which is 48.5%. So a 34.8% in zone with in zone rate compared to a 48.5% in-zone rate for the league. I mean, he's just not throwing the ball inside the strike zone. And he's terrible with first pitch strikes. He's not putting himself in leverage situations uh, or leverage counts. And as a result, he's going to lose his leverage opportunities as a high-leverage reliever. I mean, look, at some point you have to make a move. And talking to A.J. Hinch about it, he pretty much indicated, look, like, I don't want to... I mean, essentially, he said he didn't want to say too much, right? Like, he's never really named Alex Lang the closer, even though he's used Alex Lang as a closer. That's why he stays away from the names, because he wants to be able to pull back on those things when he can without making it a big deal. So he talked about staying noncommittal when it comes to using Lang in the ninth inning, but sure made it seem like Lang is going to lose that ninth inning, and they're going to have to turn it over to somebody else and get the job done. I mean, Brisky's been nasty. Um, Sure, do I fully trust Bo Brisky? No. But do I trust him more than Alex Lang? Definitely. And I think that's what kind of matters. And it's not just Brisky. It, it could be Tyler Holton. It could be, um, as we just talked about, Jason Foley. Like, there are guys in that bullpen. Jose Cisnero, if you want to give him some opportunities, maybe they throw him out there in the ninth. But, like, there are different ways to get to a win that don't include Alex Lang pitching the ninth inning. I think we're going to find out what they are this week if they have a lead going into the ninth. All right, I wanted to talk about, you know, two spots in the batting order. It's second question of the big two, which are the leadoff spot and the five hole. We don't need to get too much into this because we're getting shorter on time. We've got other things we want to talk about. But they rank 30th, especially since June 1st, in production from the leadoff spot and the number five hole for the season, they rank 30th. In fact, they're so bad in the five spot, they threaten to put up the worst performance of, you know, as a team from the five hole <laughs> since they started keeping stats. So it's it's really two 
black holes of production in the Tiger lineup in two really important parts of the lineup. You know, you got any you got any thoughts on that? I mean, your leadoff is is just atrocious and your five hole it can't knock in any runs and can't get on base and has no power. I mean, come on. Well, it starts with the leadoff hitter, and that's that's probably the biggest problem for me. I, I'm not as worried about the middle of the order just because, um, look, I mean, we know Javi Baez isn't playing well. Miguel Cabrera is a, a shell of his former self, obviously, and he's been great. He's been great hitting singles and getting on base, and that those are all good things. It's better than not getting on base, of course, um, but they, they just don't have enough thump down there. You got a developing Spencer Torkelson, a streaky Kerry Carpenter, and, and, and a damn good Riley Green, and that's about it. Um, when it comes to kind of the meat of your order. But the, the leadoff hitter is what concerns me. You have Zach McKinstry, who the Tigers picked up before opening day. And, I mean, he was amazing to start the year. He got us to apologize to him. He got us to nickname him Jordan McKinstry. And and he was doing everything right for the Tigers. But he's been really bad. Entering Sunday's game, I, I looked this up when the game started today. Um, entering Sunday's game, he's been hitting 190 with three home runs, eight walks, and 44 strikeouts in 56 games. That dates back to May 30th. And it's a, two, a, it's a 222 on base percentage in those 56 games. It's and, a 41, it's yeah. a 40, 41 WRC plus and a sub 5% walk. Rate. Which is brutal. And you go back and you want to look at the last 30 days. If you want to trim that um, even more, he's batting 169, four walks, 19 strikeouts with a 210 OBP. So the guy's not getting on base. He's not doing his job. That's the problem. That's problem number one. He's got no options remaining. You can't send it on the minor leagues. It means you're going to have to either DFA him or you're going to have to bench him. And for a guy like that with no options, I don't really see him being part of the Tigers' future at this point. Now, maybe he turns it around and he gets really hot and he convinces us all otherwise. But I think there was a situation. I mean, there was a moment in May where I, I, I said to myself, I said, whoa, is this guy trying to make a case for like everyday second baseman in the future? Like, is that really what he could be? And, and I think we were both on that. But I mean, we we saw what he was doing. We took it. We took notice of it. And he was doing it for you know, a month plus. And now he's falling off the cliff and it's almost like, you know, water finds its level. We, we know how that works. So the question really is going to be, are we going to see some young guys up here and, and are they going to fill those roles? Um, I think the same can be said for Akil Badu, who has um, been an absolute train wreck recently. Offensively, I think he, I mean, he, look, I know he had that big home run that he pulled down the line off the foul pole. That was pretty nice. And also had the double today, but you go back and you look at, you know, a stretch of games, he hasn't been great. So the question is going to be, you know, he does have options, so he could go down to the minor leagues. But the question is, look, do you DFA Zach McKinstry? Do you send down Akil Badu? And do you get some young talent in here? That's the big question for me the rest of the way, because nothing else matters. The season's over. What are you going to have for next year? It's a question I asked today. So the question becomes, when and who? gets called up. So after today, I wrote in our show notes, recall somebody, anybody, after today, recall anyone. I, I mean, it's, you know, running out Andy Abanez, Zach McKinstry, Nick Maton, Akil Badu. It's, it's just old to me. I mean, Matt Vierling has five RBIs in the last six weeks. It, 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 come on, guys. When are you going to admit what's up? This is up to Scott Harris to make the admission. He brought in all of these players. They're all Scott Harris additions. And he seems very, very reluctant, very reluctant to make moves. The season's over, guys. There's 13 under 500. There's no 12-game winning streak that's happening tomorrow. So... You know, when are we going to see Jay Hen, who's been absolutely stinging the baseball recently? When are we going to see Parker Meadows, who has 17 home runs? And when are we going to start getting some experience, even if they do poorly, to see what they might be able to do once they face some adversity? You tell me. So here's the deal, and this is kind of goes into service time, and, and I think it does matter. Um, I know you think it's bullshit, but at the same time, I think it does matter. And if you're thinking like a, if you're thinking like an executive, I think you have to think this way. There are now like ways that teams can get draft picks for players being rookie of the year and for winning awards. Um, you know, if they give them the opportunity to make the opening day roster, it's it's a way to kind of curb the the service time manipulation that we've seen in years past. And rookies are considerable; they are considered eligible. 
as rookies if they have under 130 at-bats, under 50 innings pitched, and have less than 45 days on the active roster. So, so you have to meet, you have, players have to meet all three of the criteria in order to keep their rookie eligibility. So for me, I look at the 45 days. That matters to me the most. The 45 days matters. And Nine more days. Well, there, there are 55 days until October 1st, which mm-hmm. is when the season ends. There so you go. I think we could see him coming up soon. Uh, for me, I think I, I, I understand the situation that the Tigers were in with their 40-man roster. You have to look at that. Uh, you want to see Ryan Crowther back up here at some point. I think that that's important to, to, to get him back up here and give him another look. You have to see, um, you know, you have to see Parker Meadows. Like that's, that's a no doubter just because of the fact that this is a guy who's on your 40 man roster right now. Wenzel Perez is in AAA now. I'd like to see him because he's on your 40 man roster. If you need to make decisions and that are, that are 40 man related and there's a crunch and you have to cut somebody. There are other options of players they can cut, but it would be good to get a look at guys that are actually on the 40 man. And then obviously, if you're going to call up Justin Henry Malloy or Colt Keith, you're going to have to put him on the 40 man anyway. For me, the two guys is Parker Meadows and Justin Henry Malloy. Like those are the two dudes that I think there are no doubt you must see them this year um, because they're so important to next year. Colt Keith is in that bag too. He's been going through it a little bit in AAA. We'll see if he's able to come back out of it. I think it's a good thing that he's struggling. I, I know you agree with that, Mark, just to have him yep. go through something. And that's what Scott Harris wanted. I mean, that's what Scott Harris talks about when he says seeing different kinds of pitching, going through it a little bit in the minor leagues. Let's see what kind of uh, uh, we'll, we'll see what you're we'll see what you're made of. Like, let's see what you're made of when the league adjusts to you and you have to make that adjustment back. Let's do it in AAA before you have to get up and do it in the big leagues, where that can become you know pretty overwhelming pretty fast. So it's good to see him go through it. I do still think like Parker Meadows is number one on the list. Like, like let's let's get him up here. Um, you know, in nine days, Justin Henry Malloy is number two on that list. And then I think the other guys that are on your forty man, Ryan Kreidler, um, Wenzel Perez, like th- those are guys. Andre Lipschitz, I know he's been injured, but like guys that you really want to see to know more about for the future. And then Colt Keith, if he's stinging the ball down there in, into September. If if Colt Keith stings the ball, you got to bring him up in September. You're gonna. Have but to if he doesn't, the- but if he doesn't, right. then you know. I I understand for forty man reasons what they're doing. I'm not happy about it. I think they're serious about being good. It seems awful foolish not to get a guy some at bats if you think he's going to play for you next year. Well, that, that so. time that time is coming. And look, also, I mean, look, come on, man. If you're the Tigers and you say, you know, what happens if Justin Henry Malloy gets hot next year? What happens if he he locks it in and he suddenly is in the mix for rookie of the year down the stretch? And and you want him to be eligible for that because you want to be able to get your draft pick and, and also for the player too, sure. But like as an organization, you want that draft pick. That's a coveted draft pick. I mean, that that is a top tier type draft pick that, you know, that that those don't just fall on trees. I mean, you got to set yourself up for that kind of stuff. And I think the same is true for Parker Meadows, the guy who, you know, we've seen in AAA Toledo now. I mean, the dude can hit the ball. He can hit the ball for some power. He has some chase issues, but he can pile up some home runs. And so if that were to be the case and he's able to be in the running for rookie of the year as well, you're going to want to benefit from that. The same is true for Colt Keith. You want to benefit from a guy who I think of that group of players, Colt Keith has the best chance to be a rookie of the year. You want to take advantage of those opportunities. You got three shots. You want them all to be on the table. I put less emphasis on that aspect than you do. But this season doesn't matter anyway. So that that's... I, I, I get I, it. I get it. Look, I just want you to know that I had a daydream yesterday about winning the lottery and, you know, getting the $800 million behind 50% of the Tigers and what would be the first thing I would do. But we're not going to discuss that now because if I told you the answer to that, people would be upset. So, you know, all I can say is this has been an interesting walk through where the Tigers kind of stand as we taxi towards the last eight weeks, seven weeks of the season. What's been good? What's been bad? The time's come. We're going to get out of here. I think we've pretty much covered everything, especially in a week as with as little fun as this week has had. You've had a busy week, and I'm going to send you back to Savannah and let you get some rest for a night. So I'm going to wrap it up. So I'd like to uh, remind everybody to please uh, rate, subscribe, comment, wherever you find podcasts. You can always find us at Freep.com under an Evan Petzold article. Um, I'd like to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anne Jeanette Delgado. 
our Lifesaver producer, Robin Chan. As always, I'd like to actually wish my son and daughter-in-law happy sixth anniversary. Uh, and my grandson, you know, Braden Michael Gorash. I hope uh, I'll be seeing him next weekend. And former partner, Evan Petzold, I'd like to say peace. Peace.